Stop! Turn the rig around! Go back for her! No. Tell him to turn the rig around! Did you see it? She went under the wheels. Did you see it? She went under the wheels. <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where death is just a natural part of the wasteland in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 60, which begins with Capable demanding that Max stop the rig, and it ends with that rig exiting the canyon to pass into a sandy desert. Wrapping up the week with us are Christy Porter from Indiana Jones Minute and Tom Howith from The NeverEnding Minute and also the Crit Stormcast. Hi, guys. So glad to be back. Yeah, TGIF, right? Woohoo, right. love Fridays. <laughs> it's a somber Friday, though, because as we discussed on Wednesday, we have just lost a major character in this flick. We have lost 20% of the wives in this movie, and everyone is having a lot of very strong feelings about this. We spend a lot of this minute in the war rig, but we also spend an equal amount outside the war rig. But we'll get to that as we go. Because as we start off, Nux gets his little, holy crap, I just saw what I saw look back yeah. in his little shame hideaway. And for a second time, he's left with a face caked in paint without yep. having sacrificed himself. Yep. Do you think his expression of, holy crap, I can't believe what I just saw, do you think it's more about... He just witnessed Joe fail in a really big way, or I just witnessed the death of his favorite wife. I think he's worried about Joe. Is that the third possibility? You think he's worried that Joe was injured in the rollover? Yeah. Or is he not terribly committed to Joe at this point? I would say it's early enough that he is still committed to Joe. I think that it could be that he is concerned for Joe's safety. Yeah. Because it's literally only two minutes since he got face painted. Yeah. At the beginning of this week, Nux was completely on the Joe train. Like he was bought in for a penny, in for a pound when it comes to the cult of the V8. And he embarrassed himself in front of the Immortan. And then he turns around and sees the Immortan be defeated. Mm-hmm. And how devastating that must be that if this is the last act of a desperate man, for all he knows, it could be the first act of Henry V. I don't know. But <laughs> if the last thing that Joe saw was Nux failing, how much of an impact that must have on him to just devastate Nux? Nux is like, I now have no chance to ever redeem myself. Oh my gosh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's layers to this. If there is a bouncer sitting outside the gates of Valhalla, there is going to be a picture of Nux on the inside cover with a big <laughs> red circle and line through it. Not this guy. Do not let this guy in. Oh, he paints up fine, but can't get the job done. Yeah, he's, I mean, there's a myriad of emotions he's going through here. There's that, and there's the fact that his hero just showed that he could basically bleed, that he was yeah. fallible. Mm-hmm. 
He is a fabulous actor. Unbelievable. I love Nicholas Holt. Yeah. yeah. But let's leave him behind for now as we cut inside the rig where Capable is drumming on Max's arm, yelling at him to stop and turn the rig around. And I understand that Capable doesn't want to leave Ang Herod behind, but stop, turn the rig around is such a reactionary thing that when you stop and think about it for a second, first of all, you can't just turn the rig around. Oh, that thing's they, got a they, huge turning radius. Yeah, yeah. They, and again, no steering they, wheel. They really and no steering wheel. They really don't know how trucks work. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they have no idea. It's okay. They're good at other things. Yeah. Even if they were able to go back for Ang Herod somehow, they would still have to deal with Joe and Nux, and the war party that's coming in through the canyon behind them is looming. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they had to stop and they had to clean away the rubble, but. We had the entire chase with the Rock Riders for them to do that. They've gotten the entirety of this interaction. And if they were to go back in any way, it would just diminish the lead that they have on the war party. Mm -hmm. It's such a bad idea, but it's heartbreaking to really look at someone in the face who's dealing with such a sudden instance of loss and say no. And Max can't even bring himself to look at Capable. He just mutters out no. That's actually interesting that they gave that line to her, because I could see it coming from Cheeto the Fragile. Um, I can't see it coming from uh, Toast the Knowing. Mm-mm. But from Capable, I mean, Capable is named that, we think, because she she knows what's up, although not quite as much as Toast, but certainly more than Cheeto. So Hysteria should have come from Cheeto. Well, this whole movie, Capable has been attending to Ang Herod hand mm-hmm. and foot. Right. Mm-hmm. She's like the, uh, the wet nurse almost, like. The, oh, I can't think of the word. The midwife. Yeah. Yeah, she does seem to have taken a midwife role. Hmm. So, I'm sorry, there's another word I'm looking uh, for, and is I it, can't oh, think of it. Oh, it's such a D. Yeah, Dula. Dula. Yes, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Dula. Well, we covered a wet nurse and <laughs> midwife and doula. She's one of those. Sure. Yes. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, a doula is more uh, focused on the mother, right? Right. And throughout the pregnancy. Throughout the journey, yeah. I know my ex had a doula for our daughter. And then we have this interesting quick flashback that they sandwich in here. Yes. Max has been getting these flashes ever since the beginning, and this is not the first time we've seen this particular image of him cradling a young girl in his arms. But this, as we've learned through supplemental material, talking to Mark Sexton and reading the comics, that this is a young girl named Glory, and Max saved her. And after he saved her, she was run down by raiders in the desert. And so he was unable to save this young girl. And I think the reason that we're seeing her crop up again is because he has once again failed to save a young girl from a warlord. I think it's also interesting to note that with what you're saying there is she was saved and then later killed almost like exactly what just happened to the girl. Mm -hmm. She was Mm -hmm. safe. Everything was okay, And then instantly gone again really instills a sense of distrust in a person who lives in this type of environment that you can never feel comfortable that you're safe, Mm -hmm. that you can never feel comfortable that your loved ones are out of danger, because even if they avert danger, half a second later, something else could come up and claim them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, that's the story of Max. He's constantly surrounded by people who are being taken from him by circumstance. But then he's very sure when he says no. 
So why is he so sure? I think because he knows that if they stop, if they turn around, they're going to be caught and he's making the hard decision and trying to make it easier for the other people that are with them. I think it's also because he's unwilling to be that emotional. He's unwilling to say, okay, I'm going to risk myself to save a person again. I'm done saving people. And there's also the part that he may just not want to know. Like in his mind, he can imagine she's okay. But if he goes back and sees it and she's actually dead, then he has to deal with her actually being dead. So this transition between the girl's image, Glory's image, and Max wanting to be very sure. And even if he's not sure, he's going to be very sure. Why does the girl show up? Why, do, why are we shown her? Well, throughout the movie thus far, Max is having a psychotic break of sorts. It's ill-defined, so we are defining it as a psychotic break that every once in a while, these images, he can't keep them away anymore. He can't. Like PTSD flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. And he's hearing voices, and Mm -hmm. there's been a bit of a lull in that particular action the last, oh, maybe like 20 minutes. It's actually been a little while, but it's going to become stronger in the next little while, and perhaps that's because of what just happened. Maybe he was successfully fighting it and pushing those things down. And then after this, after losing Ang Herod in this specific way, which hits really close to home, he is no longer able to keep them at bay because things get a lot worse for him. Seeing Ang Herod get run over literally triggers his PTSD. Yeah. I'm all for that. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it was actually a, um, an opportunity and he, he, it's very considered. He's like, okay, so she showed up. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. And I think that she actually showed up because she wanted him to be very sure. And he was. So I know that I'm giving her uh, more character or more weight or a different kind of weight than um, where she shows up in other places, like in the very, very beginning, for instance, when he's really having hallucinations, perhaps, and so forth. But I think that it's a check. That image and that idea and that part of him is actually making sure that he's sure. Hmm. You know, I don't think we've before considered the idea that glory as a memory or an entity in that way is like an outside influencing force on Max. We've always just seen her as a weird hallucination or a haunting memory. Because until this point, she is. Yeah. And I think this is a turning point where she is more of an outside force. Because up till now, and and for a little while still, she's very, as he saw her, you know, holding her on the the ground dead, things like that. Those kinds of images. Yes. And she's accusatory. Yeah. But down the road a little bit, she starts acting more independent. Yeah. And telling him things that his brain doesn't know. Mm Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that she shows up and that he's able to be like... Yep, yep, I hear you. I see you. And no. Yeah, she's definitely tied to his guilt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he's not guilty. <laughs> so hooray. Yeah, it's all circumstance, all circumstance. So Capable, having been told no by what is arguably construed as the dad in this group, yeah. she <laughs> goes right. and asks mom. The patriarchy, sorry. That's right. <laughs> to go back for her. No. Hey, mom. Tell him to turn the rig around. I saw exactly the same thing. (laughs) And Furiosa doesn't right out say, we're going back for her. She starts asking Max, did you see it? Mm -hmm. 
And Max is able to follow her line of questioning, and he asserts that she went under the wheels. But Furiosa, hearing the one answer, wants assurance. Yep. And she asks him again, and it's then that he breaks his eyes from the road, and he looks her dead in the eye. No avoiding confrontation at this point. He's looking her square in the face, and he's saying for sure she went under the wheels. Do you think he was trying to protect them? From the knowledge that she was physically run over, and that is incredibly gruesome. Do you think he was trying to protect them? Definitely. I think in more ways than one, he knows they can't go back, so he needs to definitively tell them why they can't go back or why they don't need to. Yeah. So he asserts here, she's dead. We can't go back. We don't need to go back. There's no point in it. And I think it's also important that he conveys to her Put it out of your mind, because this is actually the truth. This is what happened, because it's really dangerous. If she questions him, questions the mission, questions whatever she does, she is so different from where we first see her, and she turns the big rig to go towards the green space, and she still has her war boys around her, and uh, she. this is a completely different... It's a completely different Furiosa from the one that's not even talking to the war boys. Right. Kind of like, just do it. It's an interesting situation because Furiosa has been very sure up to this point. She knows exactly where to turn off. She knows exactly how her war boys are going to fight off the buzzards. She knows how Mm -hmm. to ditch the war party vehicles inside the toxic storm and how this deal with the Rock Riders was set. But now we've reached a point where things have just not gone to plan. And there is a hard decision to be made. And you can see on her face that she's contemplating, is it worth going back? Is it not worth going back? Can we just leave her behind? Because if there's even the least bit possibility that she's still alive. And Max is saying, no, there is no possibility that she's alive. Even if she was still alive, they can't go back for her. But I think if there was any thought in their heads that she could actually still be alive they would be pushing harder to turn around regardless. They would. Because they wouldn't want her to stay in that situation. Right. And if he were not the um, authority, um, if he were unconscious, if he weren't there and so forth, she actually would have made another snap decision, I think. I think that that, um, having having the dad in the car Mm -hmm. actually affords her some room to be unsure of herself. Uh, It's not very useful, I have to say, not at that moment, but um, having someone else who can make strong, good decisions, she doubts herself. Plus, she has this tremendous blind spot for these wives. Hmm. Right. And it's it's fallen on him to help her pass that blind spot, I think. I like how once he's made that assurance to her and she realizes as well, like, I think she's done the math that they can't go back regardless anyway. That's when she starts pushing. We keep moving. And... Capable just shouts that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. She yells no, and then Furiosa has to reiterate, we keep moving. Right. Right. She's moved past her emotional reaction and gone to her logical reaction, whereas Capable is still stuck in her emotions. Well, I don't know if Furiosa has actually gotten past her emotional reaction because she turns away from the wives, and we see each of them in the backseat handling this. Capable is thrashing around. Cheeto and the Dag are weeping. And Toast just is looking dead-eyed straight ahead. I think she's Mm -hmm. in just shock. And Mm -hmm. the only thing that she can do 
is say whatever happens, we're going to the green place, using it like a mantra Mm -hmm. to center herself. Which I find particularly interesting because Angharid did the same thing. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. She used it as a mantra. Frios is trying to maybe elicit some of those emotions in the others. Like, this is what Angharid wanted. This is the goal. Mm -hmm. And Cheeto is having none of it. (laughs) No. (laughs) One mention of the green place, and Cheeto lashes out at Toast, screaming, oh, the stupid green place. We don't even know where to find it. It's so young, isn't it? You know, you she she is the youngest, I guess, and she's it's a pretty petty way to go of all the retorts that you could think of instead of just screaming <laughs> your head off or something like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're stupid. No, you're stupid. She is presenting us with new information, though. We haven't really talked about the green place at all. Yeah, it's been mentioned, but this detail that we don't even know where to find it. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's new information for us. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Shoot. I thought there was a plan. Yeah. We've been operating under the impression that the green place was A, real, and B, someone knew where it was. Right, right. That's a thing. Interesting thing to slip into a scene where everyone's really upset. Yeah. And I don't think that we've seen Max and Furiosa have never had a discussion about where they're going. Right. Is Max just driving forward? Does he know what their ultimate destination is? I, I doubt he cares very much, but as the driver, he should know. Yeah. At this point, priority one is get out of this canyon. Right. And that's all he knows so far. I guess. Yeah, I, I guess. Probably he, enough. His stint at driving has only been in the canyon. Yeah. So there is only forward. And his time in the war rig started after the toxic storm. And the first place they went was into that canyon. And while they've established a little bit of trust, they haven't had time to download information to each other. Yeah. Hmm. So as the wives are mourning in the back seat, we keep a close up on Furiosa and her eyes are red. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell that she is really taking the loss of one of her charges very hard mm-hmm. because they are her charges. They are her responsibility. She went to them and told them about the green place and they said, take us. Yeah. And she essentially promised to keep them safe, that everything was going to be fine. And that's just not how things shook out. I think there is potential for her to be going down Max's path. Max feels an incredible amount of guilt Mm -hmm. for all of the people ever (laughs) that he has been unable to save. Yeah. (laughs) He feels guilt for everybody. And that has driven him mad and has turned him into the Max that we know, who is so closed off. And Furiosa... We see her have a little taste of that, and who knows what her past has been like, but she is going down the same road as Max. Would you guys say it's fair to say that this is the most emotional of the Mad Max movies? Yeah, and uh, so that makes me wonder how it would do if it was between Mad Max and the Road Warrior, because Mad Max, he's he was like a regular person before the war, and then um, he becomes Mad Max. And then in Road Warrior, he's completely mercenary, and he, and, uh, you know, as you're suggesting, there's, there's no emotion at all. He really only is doing his, his one thing. But this is some in-between life. Right. Does it work? Are you talking about, like, rearranging the timeline? Yeah. I don't know if I've ever considered, like, taking Fury Road and putting it between the first movie and the second movie. One thing that we've talked about before is... 
putting Fury Road directly after the first movie and cutting out two and three entirely. Well, that's okay. That is some rearranging yeah. right there. That's that's okay. I'm I'm just saying, you know, sure. But well, you can't cut out two. You can't you can't cut out Road Warrior, right? Because it's it's yeah. Road Warrior. You can't. Well, what do you think? Does that work? Does it work as a stopping off place between having a person who was human and then really the mercenary that Max is in Road Warrior? Like, yeah, imagine that Max ends the first movie and Fury Road is a sequel to that first movie and it's just the two of them in the story. Like a separate timeline, like a split off timeline thing. Which is great, except that I really want to put the <laughs> Road Warrior back in. I mean, I, see, I could see Road Warrior after this because after this entire debacle that's when he 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 tries to just be alone like i can't do this connections anymore it hurts too much i end up losing things regardless of how much i try and that's why in robe warrior you see him as this person that doesn't want to get involved he wants to just be for himself and still ends up you know succumbing to his emotions some well i think that's a testament to max's cyclical nature because at the end of the first movie that's exactly who he is Right. He's lost Jesse and Sprague. He's lost Goose. He's lost the structure of the MFP. And so he's just a man that wants to be alone. Yeah. And he keeps he keeps getting involved and then finding ah. out it's getting crushed by the emotional trauma of all of it at the end. Yeah. I don't know where I've seen this, but I know I've seen it before. The idea that hell is other people. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't think that Fury Road work, would work between one and two? I, I do. I don't. Okay. Julia, what do you think? I can definitely see the connection with the heavy guilt that he feels and the PTSD that he is experiencing coming right after Men Max 79. That movie really set the foundation for how he deals with this post-apocalypse. Men Max 79 was not post-apocalyptic. So two things have happened. Max has gone mad because he lost everybody in ways that he feels he should have been able to prevent and in very quick succession. And the world collapsed in on itself. So I can absolutely see this Max coming right after 79 Max. Hmm. Okay. But yeah, I don't know if I can see a Max at the end of this movie going into Road Warrior. Because I'm trying to think of the that person he is tougher. at the end of okay. this movie. It does. It seems like a bit of a stretch because yeah. he does seem a little hopeful at the end of this movie. Just a tiny bit. In the latter three movies, I feel like they all end on a bit of a hopeful note. It's only the first one that is like really dour. Yeah. And I think that's why they started off this movie basically telling us Max has had a lot of bad times between when we saw him and where we're seeing him here in 2015. This indiscriminate time jump has not been kind to him. He's had some losses, yeah. basically. Right, <laughs> right. Okay. And if this movie did come right after Mad Max 79, I think his flashbacks could just be replaced with images of Goose and Jesse and Sprague and absolutely work. Oh, I would have made me so happy if they had just done that. <laughs> like, just take, just take the old footage and put it into the flashes. But why? Oh, because I just love those older movies. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I got that. I got that. I got that. I, I got that. Yeah, now I got to think about, like, what did that mean? Okay. <laughs> Who's Glory? I would have loved if instead of the child Glory, 
as she's referred to in the credits, if it had been a digitally de-aged Joanne Samuel, like bring her voice in, like do some sort of weird movie magic or whatever. Just have the ghost that he's haunted by be Jesse. Familiar ghost. Or have it be Sprague or have it be Goose or Fifi or something like that. Do an American werewolf in London type of thing. Just to <laughs> tie in the two series together in some way. Yeah, nice. like have a burnt up goose guy following around. Wow, that's yuck. Okay. Yuck. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> it means you can do heavy makeup and hide it a little bit. Okay, you had me until you brought goose into the picture. <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm not usually on board with your references, with your, hey, bring in a reference from an older thing, but I think I could get on board with having like a hint of Jesse come in. In fact, oh, that reminds me, for Thunderdome, it didn't make it to the movie, but in the novelization of the screenplay, Max had a bad dream at one point, and it specified that it was Jesse's voice talking to him, and he was dreaming of Jesse and things that were. Yeah, I remember that scene because he wakes up and he says her name out loud and then realizes how long it had been since he last spoke her name. Mm-hmm. And that did wow. not make it into the movie. And that's a shame. It, it really is. Did anybody else notice the wife's tattoos on their fingers? On their fingers? Yeah. So they're all having a hard time in the back seat there. And they're, the dag in particular is chewing on her fingers. She's got her hands right up to her face. And you can also see them when she does some praying at a certain point and she's got a wedding ring tattooed on to her wedding ring finger and she's got some dots and both she and capable i think have peace signs now you might think that they are actually mercedes-benz signs because that those uh, actually um, show up in the movie quite a bit too mercedes-benz hood ornaments but there's peace there's dots there are a couple of wedding bands I'm the only one who saw the tattoos. I'm I'm looking, I'm looking. How did you see that? Yeah, I don't know if minute 60 is the best example of the tattoos, because I'm scrubbing through it and I can't see any good close-ups. So the dag is chewing her fingers at one point. She's got her hands up to her face. Maybe it was 59. No, it was after, might have been 59, sorry. I don't doubt you, and that is really cool, though. Yeah, Yeah, I I love the idea. Joe does see them as his wives, so it would follow that he would either brand them as such or tattoo them as such. Well, they're all branded. They are all branded in the typical way, but they're not typical property. They're special property. And he wouldn't have put a peace sign, so they must be tattooing each other. Yeah. Well, they do live with Miss Giddy, who is covered with tattoos. Right, right. Because paper is at a premium. And tattoo ink isn't? Oh. You can always have more people grow more skin, I guess. <laughs> Wait, what? What? I don't know. It's, okay. There's a wisdom um, to tattooing history onto people. I don't know what the wisdom of that is. It just is. <laughs> okay. I try not to question it. Okay, well, I'm thinking, and this certainly isn't the right time to talk about it, but it's going to happen anyways. The history of writing on paper versus the history of tattooing. And just off the top of my head, I can't imagine that they're that far off in timeline. But however... One is putting ink on paper. One is just putting ink in skin. It's the same process, just different steps. But there's no trees or plant matter with which to make paper. Right. So 
they have to use skin. But apparently ink isn't the problem. Right. Although you make ink with plants and you make ink with animals. Yeah. When we were taking a walk through Bartertown last season, we had that one place that was specifically a tattoo parlor. True. So they are able to still manufacture tattoo ink. Or you're yeah. the little octopus in Finding Nemo who makes ink. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I made ink. <laughs> oh, you made me ink. <laughs> so are we ready to leave the war rig behind? Yeah, I'm interested yeah. in diving into Joe and his family reaction here. Okay. Oh, just one last thing. I know I'm trying to push us along, but... As I'm scrubbing through this minute and using the slider to go back and forth, the wives crying in the backseat when there's no sound and it's sped up, it looks like laughter. And that's just how crying is. If you take the sound out and you speed it up, it looks like you're laughing. Oh, definitely. They look like they're just having a grand old time back there. Yeah. That's odd. Party truck. Party truck. (laughs) War party truck, man. Man, I know sometimes they call funerals life celebrations, but it doesn't seem appropriate in this time. Yeah, I don't think that really categorizes what's going on here. So anyway, we're leaving the rig behind and we join up with Joe. We're starting on a close up of him screaming and we've never seen his mask do this before. But the jaw of the mask has dropped down to open up the mouth. And you can actually see Joe's real teeth inside the mask as he's shouting out into the open air because he is just so furious. So his teeth are all red. My first thought was that he did get hurt in the crash. and He's got blood in his mouth. Like bit his tongue or something. Yeah. But it also occurs to me that it could also be poor hygiene. Is that he's just his gums just bleed a lot yeah and that's just the way he looks or painted Mm. yeah which i could also kind of see like it's very menacing and he covers his mouth most of the time anyways it's interesting how well his entire facial visage goes together like how well planned out it is with this mask and the eye makeup and it looks like it's supposed to be like that like it's almost cyborgian like he looks like he's part robot here yeah as if when he's talking normally that that jaw would be going right flapping open and closed yeah which would probably make an awful clacking sound as those horse teeth smash together right but it would be terrifying (laughs) (laughs) but as we pull away from that close-up we find that rictus has pulled a weapon from the back of his vehicle he salvaged it somehow The production designer Colin Gibson on the DVD special feature describes this thing that Rictus is holding as a homemade 50 caliber machine gun. And Rictus is just firing it off into the distance just because he can. Yeah, he can't even see the war rig at this point. It's how he expresses himself. (laughs) I thought it was maybe one of those traditions that we just haven't come across before. Like this is how you send people into the great beyond. Or this is how you, you keen. Hmm. I could definitely see that being the case. Like a 21-gun salute type of situation? (laughs) Yeah. 50 caliber keen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's pretty wasteful. You're going to have to go way back to the bullet farm. When the bullet farmer hears about this, he won't be very appreciative that these bullets were just wasted. Right. But I think it's also an illustration that Rictus isn't going to be the kind of person who says, oh, this is unfortunate. I'm frustrated, or I'm sad, or I'm angry. 
I don't see Rictus as the kind of guy that would have the wherewithal to share his feelings verbally. He would just act out like this. Use your words, Rictus. (laughs) Use your words. When the options are tell someone how you feel and just fire a big gun into the air because you're frustrated and angry and it's Mm -hmm. easier than saying it out loud, that's what he's going to do. Right. Now, there's a little bit here that you guys might have to talk me through because I'm a little bit confused. Oh, is it baby related? No, no, actually not. (laughs) That I understand completely. Hmm. How did she end up ahead of the crash truck? Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. (laughs) They ran over a ways back and somehow, yeah, he didn't have time to go get her and walk a football field (laughs) to, to get to this point. Good question. We don't know the span of time between what we've been talking about earlier in the minute and now. This could be later on because we're about to see a motorcycle roll up and there were a lot of rocks to get out of the way. So it could be that this is just taking place I guess later. Yeah. yeah, but why walk back, grab her body and walk forward? And how long has he been shooting that gun? <laughs> That's a lot. Those of are bullets. all very valid I questions. Mean, yeah, good questions. It would have taken Rictus a few minutes to get that gun off the vehicle, mm-hmm. and for Joe to climb out of the vehicle and retrieve Angharad. So I agree, a few minutes have passed. But what would Joe's motivation have been to go get her and then walk forward again? Right. What difference does it make? There are no vehicles to move you around at the moment, so stay where you are. Hmm. I don't think he's necessarily thinking clearly. You think he's just walking back towards Rictus? I think he's just overcome with frustration and anger and loss because, as I mentioned the other day, the Thanos and Gamora situation, (laughs) he has convinced himself that he loves them, even if he is a terrible person who constantly abuses them and is a rapist in every sense of the word, he looked at them as his treasures. And he has essentially lost one of his treasures right now. And so he's upset in the same way that he would be upset if someone keyed his car. Right. He's angry, frustrated, and he's really more concerned with the baby inside than the woman that was carrying it. And they do such a strong job here showing that there's very little chance that that baby is okay with how dark they made the belly. Right. Yeah. Like that belly slammed into the ground apparently or slid on the ground or something like that. It looks yeah. like from the way she's colored, the only way I could see that happening is if she was like sliding on her chest and stomach forward or something. Well, when she fell off the door, she fell facing forward. Right. And so she would have hit the ground probably butt first and then rolled because the ground is moving quickly underneath her. And by the time she's done doing all of that, when Max looks through the side window, she's lying on her back. So she definitely got beaten up by hitting the ground. I don't see any tire marks for for those wondering. Yeah, I've looked I've looked closely. I don't see any, but <laughs> Yeah, I'm not 100% sure she got hit by tires. I think the fall itself could have killed her. Yeah, she did go under the wheels, but she went under 
between the wheels. Yes. Yeah. So the big question is more about the crash than being right. driven right. over. Well, it's like they say, it's not the fall that kills you, it's the sudden stop at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> if Angherid is alive at all, she's probably deeply unconscious and not long for this world. I imagine at the very least she has some neck or spinal in injuries. Yeah. And what does he go and do? He picks her up. I mean, yep. that is just a terrible idea. And he's not holding her in a very good way. <laughs> no. no. Safety is not something he's he's uh, trained in. I say it's like Julia brought up a while ago. Hugh Key's burn is in that movie Sleeping Beauty where he takes <laughs> Emily Browning and just kind of flops her around. He, he tries to like move her and he her. ends up dropping her. Oh, bummer. Joe is not a gentle person, but I mentioned on Wednesday that he was doing his best Pieta impression and that is one of the common artistic representations that you see in catholic and christian sculpture of the virgin mary holding a crucified jesus in her arms or across her lap and that is the image that i see represented here with joe and ang herod it's another one of those religious imagery callbacks that seem to crop up every so often in Gosh, this movie I didn't, I didn't think of that at all okay <laughs> I'll have to think about that. Yeah, it, it really hadn't occurred to me until you pointed it out. And I think there are some parallels to be drawn, but not nice ones. Not, no. not ones that come out <laughs> on top for Joe. Well, with most things that Joe is involved with, it's a bastardization hmm, of something so. sublime. It's a corruption of something that was holy. Oh, I see. Joe takes things and he corrupts them including this pose. Yeah, it's like the line, you know, that we've all heard, we're all the heroes in our own stories. Mm -hmm. We don't imagine ourselves as the bad guys, and it's showing that, like, he thinks he's he's okay. He thinks he's doing right. He thinks he's the god and savior of, of his people here, and we're showing with the outside view that he may think that, but it's definitely not true. <laughs> Yeah. So I think these are these are uh, this is a really interesting idea, and um, particularly on the Christianity side. So I see tons of pagan references, but I think I missed all the Christian ones. <laughs> Actually, something that I don't think we talked about was Joe's use of water as oh okay life. Except mm -hmm. that so Jesus used imagery of water as life. He uses that imagery negatively as an addiction, something that will control you. Right. I'm up to it now. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Good. Thanks. Joe's the kind of guy that just picks and chooses and adapts as necessary. Yeah. Right. And it right, is very right, right. clear that he is choosing from the entire world's supply of religion. Yeah. Right. So I mentioned before a couple of guys on a motorcycle. Here is where they show up and they're like, oh, hey, you guys all right? And Joe's just <laughs> like, don't hang around. Go. He says on, on. Like, move get moving folks and in this instance where the bike pulls up we get to see that ang harried has a lovely splotch of red right across the top of her head so she obviously hit a patch of not soft sand yeah yeah she's also bleeding out her ear yeah not ideal some nice lens flares here as well <laughs> oh yeah some specks of dust on the lens the just the decoration that they put on themselves is insane like this whole skull on a head like on his nose thing mm -hmm. that's intense mm -hmm. i like the fork the guy that's actually driving the bike not oh the one sitting goodness. on the back he's got a fork on he his does. face mask 
It's yep. just it a fork. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how uh, spare things are. It doesn't matter how close to, to uh, death we all are. We've got plenty of time and resources for decoration. Hashtag DIY. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm it's fairly like certain that that crossbow has no string. Oh. I think it's got a string, but it's not in a pulled back position. I think it's a very fine string, and it's currently straight across. Like, it's Maybe. not engaged. It's a nice-looking crossbow, though. Compound. Yeah, it's not bad. It's a cool pistol style. You can easily dual-wield those. No, sorry, wrong game. <laughs> <laughs> so these motorcycle guys, they take off after the war rig, and we're left with the final image of Rictus firing his gun, and we get one last arm pump from that before we cut off to the war rig which is finally leaving behind all of this rocky terrain and heading out into dunes which brings this whole canyon action scene to an end we're moving away from this and into another instance where we'll be able to catch our breaths in this movie it makes me think of those like video game scenes where you've completed the level and it shows you a bit of uh videography afterwards mm-hmm. <laughs> like and then you drive off until you get to the next encounter. Like, congratulations, you've finished the canyon level. Yeah. This is the little cutscene that brings you into the desert level. Right. <laughs> Which is why this, the, you know, the way they tell this story and the way they edit it is so extraordinary. You know, it's, it's, it is one long car chase, I get it. But it feels so different when you're moving from place to place or scene to scene or uh, point of view to point of view. I mean, it's really spectacular. Absolutely. So here at the end of the week, we've got nothing but blue skies and sand ahead of us. But as for our listeners, Christy, could you tell everybody where they can hear more of you? Absolutely. They can go to Indiana Jones Minute, where I am a sometimes guest. Um, We have a lot of fun doing that. Did you get any special messages from Jerry, by the way? He was Uh, unable to join us and I said, oh, maybe we'll get a special message from him. Yes, actually, we did. Um, let me see. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> this just in from Jerry Porter. Do the rock riders choreograph their attacks and their jumps to make themselves look bigger and fluffier like cats? I added that last part, but that is actually his question, and he knows that this is not part of the, the minutes. I can definitively say absolutely. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, intimidation is half the game here. Yeah. He he will be pleased to know. I mean, just look at what they wear. Like like I just mentioned, these masks and stuff that they wear. They're they're all about visual intimidation. Absolutely. But not about safety. Really. <laughs> True. <laughs> None of the equipment they're wearing actually does anything, but <laughs> And Thomas, where can our listeners hear more of you? Well, if you're into Dungeons Dragons or if you want to check out what Dungeons Dragons is all about, uh you can listen to us play. We go over a couple of the rules as we go. And that's at CritStormCast, and that's on Twitter, Instagram, all at CritStormCast. And then if you have any love for the never-ending story, check out NeverEnding Minute, and it's all completed. You can binge right through all of it, and I hope you enjoy what we said. In fact, I'm pretty sure Rick joined us for that one. As for us, we will be coming back on Monday. Furiosa is going to get crafty with a makeshift steering wheel. The war rig will have to stop to cool off, and Cheeto is going to make a run for it. 
The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 60 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.